Hi again. Um, just want to thank you so much for the privilege to be here today. Um, it's always an honor to uh, get to be with family, and uh, Amy and I don't aren't in church very much together anymore. She kind of comes here, and and I don't get to uh, see my family as often because I'm pretty much everywhere else. It seems like. Um, but it's such a pleasure to get to be here with her and with you. Um, this is a great church. Everything I've uh, learned about y'all and just your hearts for ministry. Um, I mean, you sent your, your pastor on a mission trip. There's not too many churches that do that. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a great blessing to see that in action because you're living out the gospel. So just thank y'all for doing that. Um, I'm going to be in uh, Galatians chapter 4. If you'd like to turn with me in your copy of God's Word. Galatians chapter 4. As Corey said, it's, uh, it'd be my pleasure to uh, visit with you afterwards uh, if you have questions or would like to just know how you can be praying for us. There's uh, a few tools we have back there that just uh, information or even just a, a physical reminder of what, what we need in prayer. So just a know that I'd be happy to do that. Before I read the text, I'd like to show you a picture. This, uh, this picture is from Whose Line Is It Anyway? And it was just what the, they call a meme. Welcome to foster care where the rules are made up and the points don't really matter. If you have any knowledge of that, you know that the points are made up and the rules don't really matter. It's just a part of that process. This next one really makes me laugh. I have been a foster parent for three years. I was 25 when I started. And if you uh, believe my son, he would say, well, Dad, you definitely um, look like that. So anyway, um, Galatians chapter 4, Galatians chapter 4, would you mind standing with me in honor of God and his word? Galatians 4, we'll start with verse 1. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is a master of all but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father, therefore you are no longer a slave." But a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Are you with me? God, may our understanding of your word make a change in us today. Let your spirit speak to uh, each of us, directing us to live our lives according to not my will, but your will. I commit this message to you. I pray that I fade into the background behind the cross. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the first few things that I want to point out here uh, from our text is there was a concept of what we're talking about here back then. There was a historical understanding of adoption. So the Jews had it, the Romans had it. The Jews' understanding of adoption was kind of a, an interesting mixture. Uh, you can see in Ruth and Esther an example. Um, Ruth was, um, had a husband that deceased, and she went to another country with Naomi, and she married Boaz, and they had Obed. Now, Obed, according to Jewish custom, would not have been Boaz's son. 
It would have been her deceased husband's son. And that way, Naomi gets to claim that child as hers. Because there's someone now to take care of the generation before. There's someone to carry the legacy of the deceased husband. You see it again in Esther, where Mordecai uh, essentially fosters. He doesn't actually adopt her. He ma- they maintain the parental kinship and, of course, you know, sever it so she can hide and seek into the palace. But Mordecai does not actually claim fatherhood even though he was very fatherly, right? So the Jews had an understanding of adoption. Now, the Romans had an interesting perspective as well, kind of where we got ours, I guess you could say, where there was a a legal separation. Um, You were born into the family, the parents passed away, um, and what if the parents left debt? What if there were vendettas against them? Vengeance that could have been taken against a child. So... Roman custom said you can adopt a child and legally separate from the family. Therefore, no more debt is laid on this kid. No more uh, vendettas can be taken against. It is simply now a new identity. A new identity. So there definitely is a comprehension to the Galatian church and into the larger community of what adoption was. This church he's speaking to is diverse, very much like our cultures today, um, where people grow up differently than anyone else. So we're finding ourselves very much in understanding of what they understood too. Adoption was a reality for them, and it is for us today. The first point here, we are born into slavery. We are born into slavery. Verse 1 says, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is a master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. So just a couple of things with this. We are born human, not superhuman. We are born human, sinful human. Um, my son sometimes accuses me of being more than just a man. When we were moving back, back when, uh, I was picking up boxes that he couldn't even scoot. He's, he was five at the time, uh, just turned six this past week. Anyway, so he's walking around the house, and he's trying to lift these boxes, and he can't do it. So I go up, and I just scoop them up, and I carry them. And he says, Dad, you're the Hulk. And I, and I said, What? So I put it down, and I said, well, what color am I? Oh, you're the Red Hulk. Because this wasn't turning green, it was turning red. So we are not superhuman. There's, there's no way that we can be more than we are. Romans 5.12 reminds us that sin was passed down from one man. And then in Romans 3.23, it reminds us that all have sinned. So there's not one of us that is greater than the other. We are all fallen. The next thing here is that the Father appoints a time for an inheritance. I find that really interesting because manhood is not determined by the Father. Manhood is an age. Whatever culture you found yourself in, even in ours, of course, I was very confused in ours because my grandmother said when I turned 16, I was a man. When I turned 18, I was a man. When I turned 21, I was a man. You can think of all the things, driving a car, able to consume drug. Um, And then the last one, she told me, you're finally a man when I turned 25 because insurance finally went down. So every culture has manhood as set. 
You know, when you can be a man, you are a man. And the Jews and the Romans were no different. But what, what we're talking about here is the set of an inheritance. The father looked to the child and said, here's the maturity of the child. And therefore, you receive an inheritance. For example, the Romans like to give an inheritance early. Early, not really early. But as soon as this little boy becomes big enough for a smith shop, for example, a carpentry shop or a blacksmithing. So when they reached an age old enough to start working, they said, here, you are now going to do all of the horseshoes. That is your inheritance. Go forth, work, work your inheritance. So our culture, it's upon death, right? An inheritance is given upon death. The, the Jews had a similar right as well. But the Romans said, go work your inheritance right now, today. Kind of reminds me of the inheritance we're promised in heaven. We're asked to work it today. To not just wait till death to enjoy the, the riches that God has for us, but to live our life today as though we are promised heirs. What a great picture. So all of these things point to this, this law, that we are under the law. And being under the law is kind of like a thumb being on uh, an employee. You can't get anything done, it feels like. The law is always the perpetrator in that crime of accomplishments. I can't be, I can't do, because the law says I can't. So this law that is, we are accountable to really cripples us. Galatians 3.23 says, But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Kept under guard. The law is a good thing. But faith has proved its power over the law. It's kind of like enemy lines, breaking the enemy lines. Faith was more powerful than the law. What a great thing. I believe the overarching point here is that we are slaves to our own sinful nature, born apart from a, from a parental relationship to God. And God makes it our choice whether or not to become his adopted child. Incredible point. When you think about a child in foster care, a lot of the things that go on while they're in foster care, we probably are aware of. But what brought them there? That's usually the big question. And I'm not going to get into details. Um, some of those stories are incredibly sad. But here's, here's a picture of it. When I come home, the garage door starts to open, and my family has a window of opportunity to know that I'm getting there. They hear the, the vibration and whatever. What do they do at that moment? Do my kids stay exactly where they are playing? Absolutely. Do they get up and rush to give me a hug? Not always, unless they want something. Uh, does my oldest get up and move? No, he sits there and he'll play video games that he has finally earned the opportunity to play because he's been you know, doing schoolwork. They don't move. My wife, she stays where she is. No big deal. When I come into the house, hey, everybody, and I make my rounds, and I give kisses on the head, and I finally go see my wife, and, you know, we, we get ready for dinner and all that kind of stuff. No big deal. That's a normal dad come home. Here's what it could be like for some of the kids that are in foster care. You hear that garage door open, and immediately your heart, start, your heart rate goes up. 
you wonder, what kind of mood is he in? What did he do? Is he drunk, for example? Did he have a bad day? And then, that, then you scoop up whatever you're doing, and you run to your room, and you shut the door. Someone mysteriously goes to the bathroom. Someone's outside playing as far away from the house as possible. And when dad gets home, whatever mood he's in, wife makes sure she has something in cooking or something like that. She, she looks busy because this man has the power at that moment to change the entire emotional state of the entire home. What brings a kid into foster care can break your heart. And this is a mild description. When you think about a kid in that situation, one of the things that I know a lot of us think is when the police show up and scoop up that child, that everything's going to be better. Do you think that child perceives that they need saving? They don't. They have no clue that they need saving. This is what they know. This is the environment they've grown up in. They know no different. That, that home is, is security in its strange, perverted way. And when someone comes and scoops you up and says you can't live here anymore, that scares them to death. So my question to you is, do you think your neighbors who aren't going to come to church today, do you think they know that they need saving? Do they know that there's more to this life than they currently are living? I think that's a very powerful understanding. One child is slaved in their home. Another is slaved in their home. They don't. They don't see the similarity. That God is that father that returns and can scoop you up, give you a kiss when he walks in the door, instead of the fearful person. It's incredible to think about our job as Christians to, to go and be the rescuer because people do not need in their own minds or want rescue. But we have to intervene. We each have to understand that we are born a slave to sin but Jesus was born outside of slavery. He was born a son. So Jesus was born to bear our blame. Jesus was born to bear our blame. Verse 4 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. So here's the parallel again from the first couple of verses in 2. We see that, the fullness of time comes because the God of the universe sets a time of inheritance. Um, he sent his son to redeem us from under the law. In Galatians 3.13, it says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. So we have been living under a curse that's, a, that's a kind of a strange reality because I didn't grow up like the kids I just described. I grew up like the first story where I welcomed my dad. But I was still under a curse. Isn't that kind of hard to believe? The, the happiness that I enjoyed in my home, going to church, uh, being a part of a community that loved me, I was still under a curse. It's all of us if we have not received Jesus. We're all living under this curse of sin. And there's only one person that can break that curse of sin. A child's circumstances uh, in foster care, I just kind of wanted to cover that real quick 
Uh, this is a really long list that I have shrunk for you. Um, let me just kind of go through them real quickly. Uh, there were almost 11,000 placements in Region 3 of Texas in 2016-17. What that means exactly is in the state of Texas, we're broken up into several different regions. And in Region 3 encompasses Tarrant, Dallas, Ellis County. And there were 11,000, almost 11,000 children placed in foster care that year. I went looking for a stadium, and the Rough Riders in Plano holds 11,000. So we could have filled up an entire stadium of kids. Get your mind around that, right? Uh, TBHC has a primary place we operate, and that is in those three counties. Foster kids can suffer from PTSD at almost two times the rate of a returning veteran. And I have a theory on this. A veteran who goes and serves our country, male or female, has their identity set. They know why they're going. They understand the, they're putting their life on the line. They know that they're fighting for people that they love. But what about a child in a home they're supposed to be nurtured in? They have no identity set. They don't really know who they are yet. And their identity is being shaped by either the family members closest to them, by kids at school, by their grades. What is their measurement of identity? They are the failure that they feel like they are. That's their identity. Kind of hard to put your head around. PTSD at almost two times the rate. Their home must be a war zone, folks. Incredible to think about. Foster children experience multiple placements, which means they pack up and move to a new foster home, in some cases, eight or more times. TBHC has an average of one placement. We've had two kids in the course over a year that have moved, and that was because they joined a sibling in a home. So we have worked extremely hard to make sure that our kids have one placement after coming from their home. The average age of a foster child is eight years old. Most of our foster children remain in care for an average of one year. I wish there was time to really do justice for them. Uh, there's not. Um, what they go through, what they experience, it's, it's hard to describe for you. That's just a picture I can paint. Many of the foster parents I know want to provide a safe, loving environment. They want their kids to know about Jesus they want the kids to have nurture, to learn life skills. That's simply a teeth brushing. Here's how you do it. Wash your body. Here's how you do it. Wash your hands often. These are life skills that we get. Um, I used to have what I called baby boot camp, which is where we taught the kids how to put on their clothes as early as we could because we had 11 months with them most of the time. So, Many of these foster parents um, deal with kids who they show up with a trash bag and that's everything they own. Uh, this subject breaks people's hearts and it causes people to be afraid to help for whatever reason. A child in care or foster home has a lot of their needs met. Financially, their needs are met. Medically, their needs are very well met. Uh, academically, their needs are met. But there's always this one thing that's lacking 
And it's something as simple as me saying, what are you doing today after church? You probably know. Or you have enough flexibility in your schedule to change and know you'll end up home. It's called permanence. You have permanence. And for these kids, they don't. They have no idea of where they're going to be after school, before school, during school. They could be picked up immediately. There's just no way to know for them. Here's uh, 11 things that it takes to become a foster parent with TBHC. Complete an application. Share information regarding background and lifestyle. Agree to a home study, which includes visits with all household members, including Molly the dog. Yes, Molly the dog gets that too. Attend free training to learn about the issues of abuse and neglect. Obtain and maintain CPR and first aid certification. Attend 30 hours or more of training each year. Advocate for children in their schools and communities. Provide a positive role model to birth families. Help children learn life skills. That one's lengthy. Sign and agree the TBHC faith statement. You have to have a church sponsor you to become one of our foster parents. And provide a permanent home for those who adopt and for a lifelong commitment into adulthood. See, almost every foster or adoptive parent has to go through this process. There's, there's almost no exceptions. They have to do this. They've signed paperwork. They pay fees. They get their house in order. They do everything necessary. And when it's time for kids, what do you think they're doing? I'm ready. Who are they? Let me introduce myself to you. That's, that's what a foster parent does. There's someone else who's paid the price, who's got his house all prepared for us, who has done everything necessary to bring him to us. And that's God. He did everything, and he is waiting with his arms open wide. This is what he did for me on Calvary. He's got a place ready. I don't want to be in a, my own mansion. I've always thought of it very differently, but I want a bedroom down the hall from my Savior. I want to get up and run down the hall. Because that's the God that he wants to be to us. He wants to be daddy. So this promise that we're able to have this relationship. You see, Jesus paid everything that was needed to redeem us to God. But God also gives us evidence of our redemption. And it's in the person of the Holy Spirit. Our adoption is sealed by the Spirit. Our adoption is sealed by the Spirit. Verse 6, And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Quickly, just a couple of things. His indwelling is a certification that we belong to God. It's a certification. Uh, We receive a certificate in a lot of things. But this is a certification that can't be broken. And it seals us to God. 1 John 4.15 reminds us that whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides within him and he in God. So do you, do you remember the day you were saved? I love asking that because I get all sorts of answers. But one of the things that happens time and time again when I've had the privilege to lead someone to Jesus is they look at me afterwards and they say, it's like a weight has been lifted. It's like I I feel peace, I feel joy, I I can't describe it. Well, there's a very special reason for that. 
In John 14, 27, it says that Jesus gives us his own, owned peace. He takes it out of himself and gives it to us. It's not like a mechanic that rebuilds the carburetor of peace inside of us. He takes it out, throws it away, and gives us his. That's this incredible reason. The next thing here is that the Spirit's indwelling gives us a heart that cries, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. Why is this so important? Well, this Aramaic word that simply describes dad, it's just a a dad word. It's used from infants all the way up to adulthood. Abba, Abba. Now, it's really cute when you imagine it coming from a baby, right? Abba, Abba. But this is a, a beautiful word that's used by adults just as much as children. It's familiar. It's intimate. Dad. So why did Paul have to say it here? Well, the Jews had a very different understanding of who God was. God was aloof, creator, almighty. He couldn't be personal, could he? He loved, but there's, there's no intimacy with God. So Paul is speaking to a generation of Jews who had no concept that God wanted to have an intimate relationship with us, to love us. They would, the world cannot know him. Uh, John 14, 27 says, The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. And he goes on to point out that this is something very special exclusively for believers. But you know him, for he dwells within you and will be in you. So those of us who have accepted Jesus, we're the only ones who are intentionally supposed to know God this way. Can you get, a, can you get your mind around that, that God wants us to know him like a dad? The intimacy with God is not something we can have on our own. It has to be given to us. It's a personal gift from God that is permanent. It makes us a part of his family. I'd like to um, take a second and show you something. One of the days in my life that is incredible. It means, what was the best day of my life? Just put it that way. Uh, Every time I brought uh, anyone into my family, it was one of the best days of my life. So if you could, just watch this for a second. My dad described it really well. Uh, He said it was so legal, so formal. I was shocked how emotional it was. Um, You see, what happened is two families of two walked into that courtroom. One family of four walked out. One of the best days of my life. Adoption is something that can shock a family. It really can. You go from countless people in and out of your home on a weekly basis. We had an average of seven come into our home to check in on the kids, check in on us. Um, My wife was such a rock star uh, with all of them. But we had countless people coming in. and Then all of a sudden, after adoption and all the other paperwork, we got one more phone call to check in on us. Everything was done. What? I mean, it's a mountain of paperwork to keep up with, but there was nothing left to do as far as agency concerns. It was just like being a family was our only priority. That's strange to think about. To raise men 
was our only priority at that moment. It was an incredible gift, but it really did shock us. So we belong to our boys, and our boys belong to us. There's dual ownership involved. They got a certificate of adoption. They're not getting out of this. (laughs) They're mine. And because they're mine, there's so many wonderful things. But one of the most important things is permanence. I get to look at them and talk about, well, one day I get to dream with them. We don't, you get to dream with your kids. Hopefully, all of you, when you talk to someone, you get to dream with them a little bit. You get to dream about the future days of marriage. You get to dream about the days coming forth with the grandkids. You get to dream about seeing something come to fruition that you've never had the experience to see before. These are wonderful gifts that only God can give. And when you look at a family who went from no permanence to permanence, that's an incredible gift. You know, God does the same thing with us. He wants to dream with us about a future, a future in heaven with him, but a future that needs to be lived out today. Just as God wants to bring us into his forever family, there is something even better that we don't understand. We are heirs. We are heirs. Through our Savior, we are now heirs. Verse 7, therefore, I like that word. That means in light of everything that has been said, listen here closely. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a child, a son, a daughter. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. We are now heirs of Christ. Heirs with the Lord. It is incredible to think about this relationship we now get to have with God Almighty. That we are His offspring just as much as Christ is. What a great gift. We often see our slavery to sin as something that still holds on to us. And I I want to encourage you that this is something that needs to be severed. Um, Imagine this old man that you used to be, the old woman you used to be before you were saved. And here's the thing about an execution. It says the old man is dead, right? It's promised to us in Colossians. The old man's dead. And imagine that the old person has been hung on the cross, executed. Okay? I can see that. The problem with an execution on the cross is they still have a voice a lot of times. And they get to yell at you occasionally. Go ahead and gossip. It feels good, remember? Go ahead and deceive someone just a little bit so you don't get in trouble. Talking to probably little kids, right? Go ahead. Do what felt good once before. And they're, they're being executed. That old you is gone. We don't have to listen to them anymore. We now have the Spirit living inside of us. Jesus redeemed us so we don't have to live a life of sin anymore. He made it so we could be heirs and live for the Lord wholeheartedly. With this responsibility of being an heir, we have to prove to the world that we are changed. How do we do that? We do that by the way we love each other. And I, I'm afraid, unfortunately, church, a lot of times we, we disprove that point by division or by the way we let things get in the way of accomplishing God's great work. We have such a responsibility to live for the Lord. And we do that by the way we love each other. So let's 
by the way that we love each other, change the world around us. In James 1.27, I believe it gives us one of the greatest callings of how we demonstrate this great responsibility, this responsibility that God has given us. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble. And I want you to know, as, as social work goes, this whole country agrees with that statement. They're trying their best to do it. They want desperately to make a difference in all ages of life that are involving social work. They, they want to, but the problem is, is they're not living out the next part of this verse. They're not doing it, so they're failing big time to keep oneself unspotted from the world. This is the responsibility of believers. We are to take care of orphans and widows. It's our job, not the government. They're, they're, they're lousy at it, just to be honest. Only those who have a redeemed life and are living unspotted by the world. That's our job. As I said earlier about 2016-17, we at TBHC were able to help 280 children. 280 children is a great number. They came through our doors in 2016-17. They lived either on our campus or in one of our community homes. Such a great thing to be able to minister to them. But in light of a different number, 280 is small when you think of 11,000. Right? And I don't know those foster parents. I don't know where they're going. They may not believe in Jesus. They may not profess and take them to church. I don't know. So I want Texas Baptist Home for Children to do a bigger job. Not, not a better job. We do a great job with our kids and our foster parents. But we need to do a bigger job of what we're doing. We had 32 adoptions in 2016-17. So excited about that number. Such a way to celebrate what God has done. Uh, to have 32 kids find forever families. Uh, the last number is something I'm so proud of. Because if a forever family is what we're really after, it's not this earthly family. We had 21 kids except Jesus. So they truly have a forever home in heaven. What a great thing. These uh, photos, I, I want to show you a couple of them real quick. The first one here is talking about permanence. Permanence. Again with this line, permanence. No more stickers, my six beautiful children. That's what the caption under this reads on Facebook. Now, my wife is one of those individuals who loves to put things on Facebook. Why did this mom say no more stickers? Well, part of the reason you have to say no more stickers is every post you make, if you want to be inclusive and share your life with people, you either have to cover up or omit pictures of foster kids. So let me show you another picture that kind of illustrates that point. This is uh, my wife and I with the nine children we had. And there's stickers all over faces because those were foster kids. And we couldn't show them to the world. But if there ain't proof that there were kids in our house, I don't know what else we could have done. Lots of kids. My wife, as I said, was a rock star. See, this permanence right here, that freedom to get to tell the world about what God has done in your life, it frees a mom. I have uh, another thing I'd like to just read to you. This is a story that 
Um, a lady wrote that my wife and I both know, and she gave me permission to read it. And it just really brings home this idea of what I'm talking about today. I butt heads more often than not with my 12-year-old adopted son, and it makes life quite interesting to say the least. He's my hard kid, the one we've struggled with the most. So I find it difficult to relax around him. As a matter of fact, when we got him, he was a very scared and volatile nine-year-old that by blessing has morphed into a severely attitudinal preteen with eyes that roll so much you'd think they were greased. Ha ha. But one thing I've learned is he will never come to, to us and say exactly how he feels or that he's grateful. No, instead I have to listen carefully and watch because even though he's still so guarded, he's not as careful as he thinks he is. Like yesterday, when we got out of the car after school and I unlocked the door to let him inside the house, he walked in, stopped, closed his eyes, took in a deep breath through his nose, and whispered to himself, Smells like home. Let me tell you, in that moment, all my frustrations with him subsided. And everything inside me melted as I giggled quietly to myself. I'm so glad I was quiet and tuned in because... I needed to hear him say that in that moment. Because no matter how hard the road is and has been, he's home, they're home, and that's all that matters. There's a lot of privilege in being my son. There's a lot of responsibility too. So my 12-year-old son doesn't always like his privilege and responsibility. He has to help me with what we call the man stuff. Doesn't mean that my wife can't do it. She just doesn't want to do it. But when it comes to changing oil, mowing the lawn, he has to help me with that, and he sometimes doesn't want to. But there's this other wonderful thing, is we have permanence. And this privilege of being my son is we get to talk about his future. So what is this responsibility and this privilege we have with the Lord? We have this wonderful privilege of being his child, to be a joint heir, to receive our inheritance and live it out today. We don't have to wait till death. We can celebrate eternity today and tell everyone we know about it. And that's the next part is that responsibility to tell the world, to not just sit back and enjoy what God's given us, but to make everyone else know it too, to tell everyone we can because we have a cure for something nobody knows. They even have, and it's, it's slavery to sin. We're going to enter a time of invitation. And one of the things I want to ask you is, are you enjoying the inheritance that God has for you today? Are you living it out? Is this a God that you have an intimate relationship with, or do you think of him as someone big and aloof, out of touch? Maybe you need a, a church home. This place preaches truth, and it's going to come from God's Word. Whatever you sitting there and feel you need to respond to God, whether it's just in your pew or not, do it at this time. We're going to enter a time of invitation where the quarry is going to be up here waiting for you. Would you pray with me? Father, I just want to thank you for who you are. What a great God you are. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for all that you've done for us. Help us to live out this faith that we have in you, to know that we are sinners that need a Savior. It's in Jesus' precious and holy name we pray.